Okay, welcome back to Reload Podcast. Today is episode 15. We've got a special episode and Lee is going to be taking it, as usual, joined by Lee and Connor. Hello. Hello. So uh, just a big thank you once again for our last episode. We had Andrew Cooper from RMS Motoring and just a big thanks to Andy for coming on. We had really good feedback from it and it was really interesting to hear what he had to say. Yeah, yeah. the amount of people that have messaged in them but like, They've been showing us like track cars and things they got and saying, yeah, if Mandy was on, I've really looked into doing track days and bits and pieces and getting sent links to stuff. Did you see the black 924 track car for sale in Lurgan? No. It was no. a stripped out, painted like matte black 924, lowered in some sort of big wheels, like a half cage in it, bucket seats, that kind of thing. It was like two grand. It was pretty cool. No. Too bad. No. <laughs> I don't. It's a Porsche. Why not? It's a Porsche. No, thanks. Oh well, oh well. No, uh, a lot of nostalgia. Um, listening to Andy talking about all the stuff he's done over the years and the forum and just yeah, I think it brought, brought a lot back to people, yeah, which was pretty cool. Definitely, definitely. No, it was good. And thanks again, to Andy, for uh, coming on and spending a bit of time. We're going to have Andrew on again sometime in the future. I think we sort of had to cut him short because we're going on a bit with time. It was definitely a lot to cover. Yeah, uh, but he's. So much more to tell, I think. So what's what's new this week, guys? You want to start, Lee? What's happening in your life? Yes, um, I finally pulled the trigger and... Shot Connor? Yeah. She <laughs> <See> wishes. <laughs> no, I got a new car. Yay! Woo! <laughs> what did you get? So, well, it's not brand new, obviously, but it's new to me. Um, it's a Skoda Superb Sportline Estate. Nice. Which is like so excessive considering I'm the only one ever in it. But <laughs> it's like a cruise liner on four wheels. Yeah, um, pretty much. Estates for the win. Love a good estate. So do I. But I was heartbroken having to get rid of the Sirocco. Like, honestly, I'm going to miss it. I really am. As much as I hate diesel, so was I, to be fair. Did you trade it in, did you? Yeah. Yeah. So little Sirocco is no more. It's a, bit of, a, it's a bit of a leap from a Sirocco to. A massive, superb estate, basically. Yeah, well, my reason here's my reasoning. I needed a new car for work because of the policy of the age of our cars and stuff in work. But that's... The main reason is there's only three modern cars, really, in the market that I like or would consider buying. One is obviously the Superb, which I did buy. One is an M2, which is ridiculous for a work car, I realise. <laughs> and uh, Put a roof box on it, your grand. The third is... Uh, the new Alpha Julius. Yes. Oh yes. my god, they are just Lovely. stunning. But Alpha Romeo, not so much yeah, on the reliability make, front. I would hardly make it to the border, never mind yeah, cork. 45,000 mile a year on that would be fun. So of the three choices, that was the one. I think you made the right one. I was just having a quick look around it there before we started recording. And, uh, the amount of toys in it is crazy. It's unbelievable. It is well lovely. It's really nice car. It's very luxurious. It's super comfortable. It has all the toys, all the gadgets, even has an umbrella in the door, like it's snazzy. It's just a bit boring, and I don't like change. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, we're not good <laughs> So I'm sure I will grow to really like it, but yeah, at the moment I'm just a bit like, I want my Sirocco, I don't want to drive a big boring car. <laughs> What's odd about it, it's 20 horsepower down in the Sirocco, so it's 150 horsepower, 2 litre TDI, the same as before, but it's a DSG. And it's a much bigger car, but you don't notice the size when you're driving it, and you don't notice the weight. The Sorocco, you come out of certain roundabouts and you think, yeah, the Sorocco would have been a bit sharper there, but general day-to-day driving, you don't see it, and it's weird. Yeah, so that's it. <laughs> Fun times ahead, you hope. 
It's been affectionately nicknamed the Sapoib. The Sapoib. Sapoib. <laughs> <laughs> like I was Stefan gave it that yeah. one. I'm not trying to do an accent there. No, no, will I. <laughs> Stefan's good at accents. Would you get him on for it? <laughs> um, Connor, anything new with you? I finally watched the Bora. Congratulations. Yes. An applause there. <laughs> um, 11 months, I think I went without washing it. And you disgust me. Do you know what? I made an occasion out of it. I lifted Lee's good bucket um, with the grit guards in the bottom of it, the two good wash mitts. Uh, Maguire's gold class was like, yeah, I'm going to treat this thing down to the local. I- You're playing Barry White in the background. Oh, you? yeah. Just rubbing all over it. <laughs> and uh, I, I, we, we have wash facilities at home, but I actually like to go to a petrol station where you can just kind of like put two quid in, power wash the shit out of it, you know, that kind of thing. But I went down. I soaked it in pre-wash because it was particularly bad and then filled the bucket, went round, washed the top half of the car down to the door handles, thought I'm doing right, put the money in the machine, put like a pound in, whatever the minimum was, and rinsed the whole car down, switched the water over again, filled the bucket up, and it was channeling my inner Robin from Studio 10. And letting it dwell and so letting on. Letting it dwell indeed. And then I went round and washed the bottom half of the car, thought, yes, this is the job now. Put the pound into the machine, and the machine was broke. So the entire bottom half of the car was covered in suds, and I couldn't rinse it. I was like, what am I going to do? And at this stage, it was like after nine o'clock, so all the shops were closed with the sort of restricted hours with lockdown. And I was just like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm gone. I was like, I need to get the suds off it. So I just took it for a scalp up the road, and drove the shit out of it. And then I was so angry, I went to KFC through the drive-thru and had a KFC. Had an angry burger. Yeah. So the, the top <laughs> half of the car is spotless. The bottom half looks kind of streaky and a bit dirty, but it's all right. It's better than it was. DFR. Yeah, yes, DFR. exactly. <laughs> the, the top half got a bit of love and other than that. It's grand. It's a bit like foreplay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about um, you, Nigel? I spotted my first Land Rover Defender this week. Yeah, we talked about those a couple of episodes yes, back. Yes, I saw one in Dublin about two weeks ago. It briefly sailed past me, and I think they're definitely a grower. James Crow, one of our listeners, he works for Land Rover and he had actually messaged in to say that they're definitely something you need to appreciate in person and they're far from, the, they're not targeted as the farm vehicle that they once were. Yeah. So if you guys are seeing them, although you weren't that fussly. No, I still didn't but, like it and it didn't like help it? that the guy driving it was a ball bag, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is Land Rover, Land Rover, what do you expect? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think they're definitely a long-term grower. I think we'll swing around to it. There's going to be a market for it. You know, you, oh, you look at sell. There'll be a waiting list as long as look at the Ford Bronco in America, the resurgence from that because I think the only real competition that ever before it came in was the Ford or sorry the Jeep Wrangler. Yeah. So it'll probably aim towards that market as a kind of small soft roader drive to the beach. Although we don't do very many beach days here in this country. I didn't realize it, but do you remember Richard Shea Ultimate Detail? Yes, I think I do. He's doing conversions and defenders. Yes, I do know actually who you're on about, yeah. Some really cool stuff there. I just realised this week. I didn't realise that's what he was doing. But uh, I've seen a few pictures of the cars, or the defenders. He's actually sort of upgraded as such. I, is it like aftermarket type stuff? Yeah, Big it's like urban raised. automotive, but it's oh. more rugged looking. Some of the real nice stuff he's doing. That's pretty cool. Is it the new discoveries where the plate's offset and now they're doing like a oh, kit yeah. to, to centre your yeah. plate? Because yeah. it does look ridiculous. It is. It's horrible. Yeah, it's a squinty tailgate and this company down in the South England just went, we'll make them straight for you. Yeah. We're, we're not having that. They've been inundated with business basically. So. I'm it, sure. It's funny to think that there is such a market for it that Land Rover made 
such a mess up of that tailgate that there was a market for a company like a small company to come along and go right we're gonna we'll fix this for you we'll fix this and they are busy with it imagine you're a designer in landover and your job's to do the tailgate and then you hear that everybody's replacing it i would say he's getting some stick at the moment i think i've said before through my work i know a lot of like design engineers and those guys do not like to be corrected on their work you know they don't like any even a subtle change it's like if there's something wrong they're like oh we, we designed that to be broke like that you know that's so this guy's obviously but i can get that if the design is part of the function yeah but where the number plate is located on the tailgate is not part of the function that was somebody who thought that it looked nice and they were sorely mistaken lee he's a designer that was that that was his choice. <laughs> there was a reason for there that. was a reason and he'll make it up when he, you ask him he, he will tell you he'll make it up with a formula and styling and you will be wrong and, trust me yeah, yeah. <laughs> um also this week or this week common uh mark hill otherwise known as him with the beard youtube channel he's going to be doing a series of youtube videos it's basically motoring stories. Okay, yeah, like local people type thing? Yeah, he was filming last week with Tom Kennedy and his Lexus. Yes, I've actually seen that um, on Instagram. He asked me to do the Corrado here in the next week. It's an association with Reload. Um, Mark's very, very talented with the camera. He's done some work previously with Dubshed and stuff like that there. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. Excellent, yeah. You get the Corrado out for a run as well. Well, this is true. I had it out there. What did the... I don't know if I mentioned last time. It would have been just after I recorded Went to the Showworks post-lockdown cruise in Bangor. No, you didn't know you went no. to that. You relive in the youth. Oh, oh sir. <laughs> I won the award for oldest person there. I like it. So I, I well, well, just when you say that. Um, Galvin, Clark, a uh, whole lot of other boys were there too. Well, do you know who wasn't there, Lee? TFTI, oh, champs. Yes. TFTI. Yeah. It's, uh, we have access to social media as well, is that what you're yeah, going to say? I was going to say, <laughs> it shows you that I'm interested in going to this event or whatever. No, we're just old fogies. Sorry. Wait, Sorry. I think um, Stefan and I went to, what did we go? I think we went to get paint off Genuine one Sunday evening, and our mom were coming back down the road, and once again, life revolves around food, stopped for dinner, and we pulled into Portadown Car Park on a Sunday night. Now, any of the local guys will know Portadown, Bangor, um, where else would have been big on a Sunday night? Portadown. Marfeld. Yeah. Those, Mara. Mara. <laughs> all those kind of towns were massive for like Sunday night cruises. Oh, and Marfeld was massively. Yeah. And Portadown especially and Bangor. And a lot of the ones were like, it's like a board after a month or so that would travel between different towns. And it was just bad. Like when we were going like 10 years ago, like. What you had a couple of hundred cars in Portadown every on a Sunday, Sunday night, night. easily, like, yeah. And we pulled in, says we'll go and eat our food and see what's right. And all there was was standard fiestas, standard Cleos, standard courses. I was just like, what is going on? Um, I, this is the thing with these cruises and meets and whatever. Where has everybody gone? I yeah, I we've I, all grown you, up and all have like children like, and houses and I, that kind of thing. I help out with the BB football team. It's hard to get. We fellas to turn up for matches on a Saturday afternoon because of so much other stuff on online. And I think now there's too much stuff to do, you know. And it's, people just go, "I'm not going there. I'm going to do X, Y, Z." Yeah, it's it's a, it's a strange one. Like I remember saying to Steph, and I was like, "There's not a single car in this car park that I would take home with me." And until Brian Lappin, do you know Lappy? Yeah, yeah. He drove through on his um, is a Shadow Blue Mark Five R32, yeah. still static coilovers, 19s, really nice looking car, and he just kind of done two laps him and the wife and back out again and i was like i'm well, out see us later yep and brian probably thought the same thing as us it was just like what is there's nobody here, here? yeah yeah because yeah, he used to, used to go to the cruises we're sounding really old here yeah what we were saying but 
Well, we um, were cool. Yeah. You aren't. Yeah. I think, well, I think there's a combination there's too much to do and there's far too many shows on now. So yeah. people are using shows, well, there isn't one at the minute, like more like meets yeah. and cruises. The so there's not people. as much of a need for a cruise. Well, our, our Sunday night, our Sunday used to be either working at the car or cleaning the car, forking out Sunday yeah, night. Sunday night, yeah. yeah. And you were out to like 12, 1 in the morning and then school, work, whatever the next day. Yeah. Now those are change times definitely there. And no. what, what was the cruise like up in Bangor then? Bonged. That's crazy. Absolutely bonged. It's good to see though. Um, another thing, it was actually Clark pointed out to me, um, there's a fella actually not too far from here and he used to do a lot of work on Jap cars and now he has turned his hand to TFSI converting caddies. Oh, caddy four, vans? Four of them drove past, very wishy. Oh, yeah. Clark be pointed a bit of a out to me that uh, the fella Brian, he is now doing um, conversions in caddy vans. So Brian Bolton? Yep, the oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he's doing conversion on it. Basically, so the job stuff was getting far too expensive. To yeah, the job stuff, stuff. Is, is a bit like Mark II, Mark III stuff. Where it's just getting ridiculous. It was a cheap, yeah. fun thing to do, and now it's just become... It's like Parts became... I suppose it was drifting, too. You wreck a lot of parts, but as parts become more rare, you have, you have people like us who buy parts, and I would rather sell them to you or somebody else at a normal price and keep that going. And then there's other people who have just jumped in this thing where it's like, oh, they'll find some part and they'll just put 300 quid onto it. Yeah. And then somebody else goes, oh, I have that part. So that means that's worth 400 pound now. And it just spirals out of control and will become what starts as like a cheap, fun, interesting hobby. It just becomes unobtainable. Uh, unobtainable. Yeah. Basically, what I'm saying is after the cruise, be careful any caddies you want to race. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So um, just, just a quick update. A few people have been asking about the driven event we're having the 8th of August. The spaces are basically gone. I think there's one or two spots left. Yeah, I think there's pretty much about 50% extra of what you had planned. Yeah, um, so it's going ahead on the 8th of August with a slight issue in that we had plans starting in Yetnards and then going down the coast road to the ferry. But with COVID, restricted times, um, restricted room on the ferry, we're going to have to sort of look at that again. So bear with us. We'll have an event page set up here shortly. We've just given link set up uh, for donating for your entry on the day, or if you can't make it, um, throw a few quid. It's all native aware and I. We're going to have a raffle prize as well. Prizes, sorry. So big thanks to Reload Studio Ten, Motorsport Spares Balamina, and Blackline Performance. Um, they'll be given prizes for that. The route, the final part of the route is fine. Uh, most of the route's fine. It's just we're gonna to have to adapt and work out what way we're gonna start it and stuff so yeah i think that was always gonna be the plan anyway what you guys were saying they didn't want to give away too many details and then constantly change yeah. and change but the general premise is that it's still going to be a yeah, there was drive a, there was a strict across in the ferries and i thought oh by august that'll have changed but then there was an article in the local newspaper this week that the department of infrastructure basically said no this is it for the next while yeah. so the ferry's not looking a viable option at the moment but to be to be confirmed guys it will happen and we'll keep you posted yep Okay, moving on to a bit of news, better YouTube, better podcast. We'll start off with the news, and the big news this week is BBS is bankrupt again. Well done again, BBS. So the company was formed in 1972 and basically revolutionised motorsport wheels. Uh, it went bust in 2007. By the way, you can get a full account of the BBS story in episode four. I have it written down as well. So uh, <laughs> don't you might want to listen to this first. But yeah, 2007, we had Punch International took it over after it went bankrupt. And then 2011, went bankrupt again. Nice Holdings took it over. And then this week, it was basically 
Administrators were brought in and they stated that due to unexpected disappearance of payments, insolvency threatens in coming months, basically saying we're on our way out here. So they have been hit hard by COVID, but they are not the only ones. We're hearing stories of other wheel manufacturers are getting it tight at the moment. The insolvency firm stated um, there will be extensive restructuring course and it is a time of change for the company. Share prices hit the floor and we hope that... uh, Things will change. Currently employing 1,200 people, so and it's a legend of a brand. That's the third time in like 15 years this has happened, but I have a, a quote here from a guy who actually works there. He was getting a bit annoyed at people saying about, all oh, this is BBS gone and blah, 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 and he, just a bit of information on it. And what he said was, BBS GmbH is the cast side of the company, and they've been impacted for more than a year by the overall decline in the German car business. The majority of cast wheel business consists of flow form wheels for OE manufacturers with Porsche being the biggest customer. Prior to COVID-19, BBS GmbH was working to resize the operation and shift more focus on the aftermarket. So that's maybe why you're seeing other wheel manufacturers down as well as because OE manufacturers aren't building as many cars or at the minute with COVID they're building nothing so there's no demand for there. You know, if that's what's kind of keeping that business afloat, they're not getting it. They would have to downsize the company since the overall volume of the company would reduce like many other companies, the pandemic has only made the financial situation worse. BBS has been through this before and we're not going away. During the prior insolvency, BBS Japan purchased the forge and motorsport parts of the company, leaving the cast business as a separate part that would eventually be purchased by another group. And again, that was covered in the episode four. Our NASCAR program and the Formula One program for 2022 are not reliant on BBS GmbH. The sky has not fallen, as you may believe. So there's hope yet. Bankruptcy isn't what it used to be. Especially when you have a lot of switched on firms now and accountants where it's like, oh, split that into different businesses and you can buy that back. And And then a brand as strong as that, investors will circle. There's a few companies that have been bought over the years by bankers from America just to be able to loan on the back of the brand strength. Ah, yeah. So it'll be around just to be in a different form maybe. Look at the likes of like Hotpoint washing machines and all too. Like they went bad, what was it, in the nineties, and the Chinese bought them up for the name, yeah. and they they built the Chinese washing machines with a hot point brand name on it. So, hopefully, that's not what happens to BBS, but you know, there is always a buyer for something like that. Yeah, quality product. Hopefully, it'll last. Hopefully, it'll last. Another quick little story is Tesla's in trouble again. This time in Germany. Um, I'm going to try and pronounce a name here. So, in Germany this week, a court ruled that they couldn't use the term autopilot. It follows Germany's Wettbewerbszentral Fair Competition Group. I'm glad you went with that and I didn't. Objected to Tesla website claims in 2019. So I interpret that as probably BMW or somebody touted on them. Probably, yeah. Yell if somebody wasn't happy about it. So on their website, they claimed that it's full. Um, by the end of the year, the Tesla car will have full potential for autonomous driving, including automatic driving on motorways, be able to recognize traffic lights and drive in urban areas. So the German court in Germany ruled nine to them using the term autopilot as follows uh, several events. 2018 in the US, two groups complained about autopilot misleading and just a few examples of misuse of autopilot. It was captured in social media. Um, a British driver climbed into his passenger seat on the motorway. He got banned for 18 months. I um, wish you were videoing this because my face there, I could actually feel myself just cringing and be like, <laughs> why... <laughs> um, in America 2018 guy was playing video games and crashed into concrete concrete barrier and died deservedly so Maybe natural not selection die, but natural yeah. selection coming yeah 
And another Tesla crashed in a stationary police car when he was an autopilot. <laughs> All the things they had. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but I think Elon Musk came out and hit back busy saying, to, he, he went on to talk about why can you use autopilot in a plane when it doesn't land it or take it off? Yet yeah. It's okay to use that term. It just... it's Yeah. And do you know what? Even if you... If the German government were in the right, Elon would still argue with them anyway because he just doesn't like to be told what to no, do. He's a mother. I can see the I can see the other side of it too because like where do you draw the line? Because it's like they're gonna force you to name everything you know, everything's gonna be named a certain way and it has to be an exact science. It's a damn cancel culture, Connor. Yeah, it's that, a damn cal- cancel culture. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> it just really angers me. Like there's no grey area anymore, it's either yes or no. Yeah, you're just no room for discussion. You're working everything down to the lowest common denominator in human society and it drives me absolutely bananas and trying to be polite. But yeah, um, well, don't be polite because Robin said it's great to hear you swearing on the podcast. Um, fuck, fuck, fuck. There you go. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I only were your kids. Um, so, yes, that's happened to Tesla. Yeah, and just to finish up then, the unsurprising news, Edition 38 show and Claimfest are yeah, officially cancelled. Pulled the plug within days of each other. Yeah, um, I think it's got to the point now where nobody really expects a show to be on. Players Classic is still... <sighs> I, I think they're still kind of dancing around it. I personally wouldn't like to have any boats booked well, for it. Well, he started, the guy, the organizers of players started putting a feeler thing out, saying how would you feel a social or socially distant event would work and all the rest of it. So yeah, they're, they're thinking about it. Yeah, but I think these clusters starting to pick up and stuff, I think just... Not a great time. Did they duck this year? Yeah, it's unfortunate, but I, I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's If there's, nobody, if there's nothing else happening... And you're trying to have a controlled number of people. You won't be able to control it. You'll not control it because there's just going to be crowds everywhere. And you can have as much security on as you want. But what are you going to do? Start turning people away at the gate and say, no, we can't come in when they've driven 300 miles down the road to it. It's not going to happen. Are you going to walk around the event and go, don't stand so close to him? Yeah. It'll not happen. Thousands of people. No. But (laughs) it's unfortunate. But it was always going to happen. Yeah. Sad times. What about YouTube's anything going on? YouTube's just one mention on YouTube's, and it was Gears and Gasoline channel. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I might I have. I'm not sure, really. No. So it's two young guys. They're both called Ben, Little Ben and Big Ben. That wouldn't get Big confusing. Ben's taller, Little Ben's shorter. And they're actually quite knowledgeable guys. I think the Tall Ben's, he has a mechanical background, but... They were big into their sort of media production to start with, from what I hate, what I've sort of looked. I've only, only found this channel in the last week, basically. But it's really interesting. It's a bit job-heavy, and they have some sort of builds. They only release a video every couple of weeks or a week or so. Uh, but it's a real high-quality production. Good cinematography, um, good editing, lots of drone work, stuff like that there. Yeah. But the one I the one that actually got on the suggested list was the Tesla versus race car across America. Okay. So they spent basically just over a week driving from the east coast of America to the west coast of America. Model three Tesla, two thousand twelve Model Three Tesla versus a Lancer Evo full time attack car. I need to be a YouTuber. So it was electric. It was electric versus a race car. Uh, of course, the race car had full harnesses, bucket seats. And the Tesla's a totally stock model. Yeah. So it was basically. The argument of pedal power, extreme pedal power versus electric. Yeah. Um. The difference was in America, you have a full network of um superchargers, the fast chargers. Yeah. In the end, it was nothing to the Tesla. They stopped for twenty minutes to charge it and got instantly a full charge, four hundred miles. 
20 yeah. minutes is mental um what's how long does it take do you know how long it takes to charge an electric car on a normal charger or like oh well, it depends widely on the car and the battery oh really yeah but i think they it's, mentioned at the start and i couldn't remember but i think it's basically four or five times quicker the supercharger yeah so you're going to be two hours kind of thing yeah no it was, it was an interesting insight into the whole electric issue but again, it comes down to infrastructure because there is a full infrastructure in America. Yeah, we barely have petrol stations here, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> mind superchargers. I think you're you're looking to get chargers at supermarkets. I think there's more of the actual... Is there superchargers in Apple Greens down southly? Yeah. I don't. I honestly don't know of any in the north. There probably is, but I don't see them. But I know they're in the south. Mm-hmm. They're probably more geared up for it than we are. We don't like chains up here. They've yeah. built a lot of new petrol stations in the south recently. Um, new service electric. stations and stuff, and they have... They have everything. They're like geared they're, up for it. Yeah. Well, I think we talked about it before as well, was that if you're waiting 20 minutes, you're going to want customers to go somewhere. So there'll be toilets, shops you can go to, you know, you you want people to, like if you have a, a set up with a supercharger and there's nothing else happening, you'll drive past it if you can to go to one that you can go and chill out or get something to eat. Yeah. Interesting watch. And they also done other challenges as well. It's like Top Gear challenges, a lot of them. Uh-huh. There was one that went from the most southern point. Of America, the most northern point, and then there's different builds and stuff. But yeah, that good, sounds interesting. Good watch if you're bored. They're quite long videos, most of them. That's good. But they're I think they cut into like three and four episode type things. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but worth checking out if you're stuck for anything to watch on YouTube. Um, along the lines of YouTube, then we're big podcast fans, obviously. And shout out Dandy Maxwell, who reminded me there's a good podcast I forgot to listen to. And it was Chris Harris's Collecting Cars. Now, I've listened to the most of them, but I forgot to listen to the one with Nicky Grist, ex-Colin McRae, mm-hmm. co-driver. And I'm about an hour into it, and the man has left, has lived such a life. Yeah, I would say that's an interesting story, and a long he's, story. He's been in the passenger seat of WRC superstars for basically three decades. That's amazing. So, I've yet to get on the Colin McRae section, but yeah, if you're looking something to listen to in a podcast, apart from Reload Podcast, obviously. Of course. Um, the Nicky Gris one, so far, has been very, very good. Excellent. So, we'll leave that there then. That'll do us for news and YouTube. Yep. So then, under the main topic of the day, Lee is going to oddly talk to us about drugs. Drugs oh, are oddly, bad. Oddly talk about us? Well, it's a, it's a strange one for a car podcast, but I suppose it's the old... Drugs are bad, okay. We don't condone drugs. I don't take drugs. I don't know about you two. You're dodgy, but I definitely don't. Um, I take white monsters, does that count? Pr- the amount that you take, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, white for you is very different. <laughs> but yes, it's looking forward to hearing this. I've heard snippets of it from home, but I've been trying not to because I want to hear it fresh today. So, Lee, do you want to take it off? I shall. The episode, not your face. <laughs> I meant take it away. Do you want to think carefully of what you're going to say, Connor? Lee's going away tonight. He's all in my head. Right, let's get this wrapped up quick so these two can get uh, busy. Oh, dear. Uh, yes, so um must say, before we start, a hat tip to our friend Richie Brown, who kind of put me onto this topic. Some of the stories I know or have heard of, and I've heard a couple on other podcasts and stuff, but Richie's a big touring cars fan and nascar so he knew some of the other stories and he was able to to point me in the right direction on some of them so the basic premise is we all know motorsport is expensive it used to be the preserve of the wealthy but in about the 1950s it attracted more people in who were looking for ways to finance their motorsport addiction i think yeah uh a popular saying used to be that the only way a rallying will turn you into a millionaire is if you started off as a billionaire it's it's only going one direction 
So over the years, people have resorted to various means of financing their uh, or bankrolling their their motorsports. We've had uh, robberies, fraud, tax evasion, or in this case, drugs. One of the things that you find is that people quite often get ratted out by jealous rivals on the motorsports scene. So if they achieve some degree of success, the other drivers don't like that. They're starting to look into what you're up to. Or just because tax authorities want to know how is this guy of seemingly modest means putting thousands and thousands into a race car and a racing career. One example of this is a chap called Vic Lee, who was big in the BTCC in the kind of 80s and 90s. He was arrested and sentenced to 12 years after he was caught using his team's transporter to smuggle almost $10 million of cocaine. Obviously it was UK, so I don't know what the equivalent is in pounds. Just a small amount of cocaine. Yeah, then. it's definitely a uh, it's no. He didn't have it in his pocket anyway. So house parties worth really, isn't it? <laughs> Again, I don't know what house parties you're going to or a Tory conference. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's some debate over how that he was caught on to. This one of the stories goes that they were using the nitrogen gas cylinders to smuggle the cocaine. So the things that, you know that they use for blowing up the wheels, or uh, and that somebody tipped them off because they were cutting open the cylinders, putting the drugs in them, welding them back up. So when they were in the transporter with the car and all the tools and things, they just looked like cylinders. Another story goes that, which I think is probably the more likely, is that this was a British touring car team based in Britain, but they kept running back and forward to Holland to, to in inverted commas, test their cars. Yeah, they're passing a lot of test tracks there just to go to Holland to test. I was like, well, we like this track. We'll stick with it. So that was fine. He was released. Um, he went to prison in 93. He was paroled in 98, so he didn't serve the full 12 years. But in 2005, he was caught again smuggling cocaine, this time in the boat of his own personal BMW M3. Man's got to do what a man's got to do. And was sent back to prison. Again, he served a shorter sentence than, than what he originally got. It was, I think it was about another five years he was in for. And once he came out, he was promptly offered the top job managing director of Corbo Seats. To right. great public outcry at the time. Yeah, I... I <laughs> not suspicious at all. No, it's definitely a strange one. Like, imagine a massive company like that. They're well-established seat manufacturer. Been like... Convicted of dealing drugs or smuggling drugs twice? Come work with us. Where no are they Corbo? I don't know. I think they're UK. Are they? I think so, they yeah. Are, yeah. I think they are. But I mean, Corbo would, would deal with like Halfords and things, you know, like yeah, big, they have a lot of st- high street brands type thing. Who you think wouldn't want to be associated with somebody who's gone to jail twice for drug smuggling? The Raven. I think he's still there. I tried to look up online to see. As far as I know, he still is the MD. Yeah. Well, if he served his time, he... I think, yeah, I think that was his argument at the time, was like, look, I've gone to jail, I've done my time, I've learned my lesson, why can I not go back to my life? Well, if a man's caught twice, he maybe didn't learn his lesson, but yeah, sure, well. what can you do? <laughs> Have they checked any of the Corbo seats lately? <laughs> I'm going to buy that's some. Very, that's very thick padding in there, sir. <laughs> Might buy some for the Mark III. <laughs> so one of the quotes from the Scottish Herald, one of the customs officers was saying that they had stopped or had exposed a drug supply route using the glamorous world of motor racing as a cover. Very glamorous. So here are some other people that I found who have used the glamorous world of motor racing. In June 2018, a man used the cover of being a stock car racer in a bid to smuggle drugs with a street value of about 2.6 million into the UK. Antonius Hendricks hadn't raced at all in the UK in 2017, 
but told his officials that he and his assistant René Nutboom were en route to a competition in King's Lynn when they were stopped at the Channel Tunnel. Inside the specially adapted truck that they were using to transport the car were 40 kilos of cocaine and 280 kilos of cannabis hidden in the roof. Merely for personal use. (laughs) Officials' attention was first drawn to the vehicle because an illegal immigrant had hidden in the truck, unbeknownst to the two guys who were trying to smuggle the drugs. Yeah, he got chopped up 100%. (laughs) So the border force agents obviously stopped the truck, got the immigrant and discovered 60 holdalls containing the drugs hidden in the roof of the transporter. The Dutchmen were arrested and Newt Boom declined to answer questions except one, which was, were you fully aware of what you were doing today? And he answered yes. Oh. That's <laughs> Of all the questions to answer, now that is not the one that I would have been answering. It's like, what's your name? No answer. Is, were you aware you were smuggling all these drugs? Yes. Yeah, I was, I, yeah. His lawyer face palming in the background. Yeah, he's like all sweating. <laughs> Imagine going to all that effort, though, to build like concealed compartments in the roof, hide all the drugs, you're you're double checking the lorry every time you stop. It's like check the tail lights, check the brake lights, indicators. Everything works. You you want you don't want e- draw draw attention to no, yourself. You want everything to be perfect, and some illegal immigrant jumps underneath it and gets gets you caught. <laughs> uh, the National Crime Inve- Agency investigators proved that the men had travelled to the UK at least twenty times, but that Hendricks had not raced in the UK since twenty sixteen. Maybe a wee bit of anxiety. The man just wasn't up to it that day. <laughs> There's, you know, have to take people as you find them. Uh, another kind of similar story goes, uh, a classic car fan was jailed after he tried to smuggle two million of Class A drugs into Britain, hidden in the panels of his Volkswagen Polo. Okay. Quite impressive in a small car. <laughs> when stopped at the border control in France, Ewut Groenboom from Definitely Rotterdam. Dutch. Yep. Lee does better accents and impressions. Lee can speak shots, so it helps. All right, okay, there you go. (laughs) She's got an advantage. Uh, From Rotterdam, told immigration officials that he was on his way to a three-day car auction at Silverstone. Suspicious officers searched his car after spotting that he had failed to buy a ticket for the auction, didn't have a hotel booked, and was due to return before the end of the event. Well, clearly the poor man had to sell all the drugs to get the ticket, (laughs) the money for the ticket, like, give him a bit of time. Um, £110 of MDMA in the side panels and spare wheel well in the 2002 Polo. Oh, I wonder, was it a 6N2 or... 2002, it'll be a 6N2, wouldn't it? Yeah, good choice, good choice there. <laughs> What's funny is there, what do you say, £2 million worth mm-hmm. in a Polo, probably worth a bit of grand. Yeah. That would be the job. <laughs> <laughs> then, a car like that doesn't draw any... It's not a big flash. No. Blends in sort of car. Imagine getting, Imagine crashing it. Imagine getting rear-ended and like a motorway pile up. Just a big cloud of Colombian marching powder <laughs> yeah. in the air. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you crashed into a plasterboard factory. There's <laughs> dust everywhere. Um, another UK-based story then goes, Philip Rowe, Leicestershire truck driver, was at the centre of a drug smuggling case involving the Kawasaki World Superbike team. I'm sure they love that. No, I don't think, and I wouldn't certainly wouldn't like to suggest that Kawasaki Corporation we're using drug smuggling to fund their operation. That's absolutely not what I'm suggesting. Dis- big disclaimer here, yeah. Kawasaki. So, you know, just hold back the lawyers it, on us. It was certainly the lorry driver. Um, but the team's truck was returning to the UK from Assen in 2011, stopped at Dover, searched 6 kilos of cocaine, 68 kilos of cannabis resin, 35 kilos of herbal cannabis, and 30 kilos of ecstasy tablets. 
30 kilos of ecstasy. Ta- that's a lot of E. Yeah. I'll take your word for it. Well, they're, they're very light, <laughs> so I'm told. <laughs> yeah, well. So I understand. <laughs> 30 kilos, that's crazy. Um, you think, like, that's... Yeah. Yeah, well, a standard... It's a lot of tabs. Bringing the, uh, the old construction into it, a standard concrete block is 22 kilos. So, like, a, imagine lifting a, like a breeze block. A, one and a half of those is what you have in XT tablets. Well, you know what I'm thinking of when you're going through these stories in the Channel Tunnel? What do you call that film? Um, it has the RS6 on it. Oh, layer cake. Oh, yes. Aye. Yep. The bags ease, you know. Yep. That's that's exactly what it's yeah. like. It's um, it's crazy. And it all seems to be with transport. You know, it's like, oh, because you kind of think we have a legit reason for traveling here. But no, we're not really that legit. Some of them were, and tagging it on, and there's all the guys like your man there. It's just like, no, I'm, you're, I'm going to Silverstone. I'm going to Silverstone. But I'm not racing. <laughs> I'm just bringing my collection with me. They'll always find a way to get the drugs across. That's it. I worked down the docks, and did I ever tell you about the horses that were used in the Anus? The what? Up the Anus? Yeah. Oh yeah, I think you did. <laughs> there was a certain horse transporter who's still in business today, um, and he used horses to transport drugs. Yeah, I in don't... cavities of the horses. Let's just put it that way. Imagine taking something put into your body that's been up a horse's ass. Well, yeah, not for me. No thanks. I'll pass. Thanks. No. <laughs> I know that my pint of Guinness has not been up a horse's ass at any point, or I uh, hope d- not. D- anyway, d- depends what bar you go into. Connor. <laughs> <laughs> so you get the wrong pint, and sometimes it tastes like it. <laughs> Sorry, Lee. Go so ahead. Going back to Philip Rowe, um, a number. of excuse me, a number of MDMA tablets, a .22 Walther handgun, and 35 rounds of ammunition were also found in the truck. Um, this guy's not fucking around. Which wasn't actually being driven by Roe at the time. He was driving another lorry. Oh, so dear. he had put this stuff seemingly into one of the other okay. team's lorry. Um, so three other team members were arrested at the same time. Forensic examination of the drugs recovered his fingerprints on the packages, emails and messages recovered from his laptop included incriminating evidence, such as references to a payday when he got back to the UK. He was charged with six counts of attempting to import Class A drugs, Class B drugs, firearms and ammunition, but the other three team members were released without charge. Imagine the Halligot charge. How raging would you be? Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's people out there that have been oh, set up like that. You know, yeah. like even as a decoy and you ring through and go, here, there's a tip off. That guy's coming through and you go on through a bigger amount. Well, sure, there, you hear tell of guys coming over across the channel tunnel there and immigrants in the back. Yep. And you're automat- You're the man that done it. You're in jail. Yep. You should have checked. You should have known. Yeah. And there's to a certain extent, well, locally we know there, there was one recently that the guy was convicted of. But Mo the superstar. Yeah. And even at the time there was a whole outcry of like how is he supposed to know? And it turned out well well according, according to the courts he knew rightly. The fact um, that he was early twenties, had two flash cars, a big fancy house, and all he done was drive lorries. Yeah. Well nothing against lorry drivers, but I've been watching Stefan, he started oh, the lorries. Here. He's upgraded now to two mercs. <laughs> I think they're a total value of about three grand, but what still. you're saying what you're saying is Stefan's gonna be moving in the world of AMG very shortly. Yes. He'll AMG swap nineteen sixty nine Merc. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably still be a diesel known Stefan. Uh moving across the pond then, if you were competing in American sports car racing in the nineteen eighties, there was a good chance that one of your competitors on the track was involved in drug drug smuggling. So many racers and competitors were eventually convicted 
that the IMSA earned the nickname the International Marijuana Smugglers Association. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they love that. (laughs) One example is, I should have asked Richie how to pronounce this one, Randy Lanier. No, I'm out. (laughs) That supports our name. I don't believe that's true. (laughs) Bring on Randy. (laughs) Um, Who won the 1984 IMSA Championship as an independent team, beating other factory teams. Uh, seemingly without sponsors. This was because he was funding the team through a sophisticated smuggling scheme involving speedboats and a specially modified barge. Hang on, so this guy is racing, beating factory teams and no sponsors in the car? Yeah. Would you not have made up a few companies, slapped them on and yeah. they're like, look at me, I'm legit. Like Top Gear, you know, arse biscuits yeah, up the you, side you, of the car or something like that. You would have had something on that. Like, <laughs> I am not a criminal mastermind, but I'm looking at some of these and been like, Everybody How look you... that way. This is not suspicious. Yeah. yeah. You may as well wrote not a drug dealer on it. I would say there's a certain amount of arrogance. There's bound to be, yeah. I suppose it's like around. anything. If you do it for long enough, you keep pushing yeah. their luck. Yeah. And yeah, I can do what I want. I'm untouchable. I actually should have mentioned earlier when I was talking about Vic Lee, there was a great picture that I discovered when I was doing the research. One of the the big stickers that he had up the side of one of the BMWs um, said, please don't drink and drive. <laughs> he wants you to take it's drugs instead it's a great instead. picture but it's like yeah do some cocaine but don't drink and drive naughty naughty <laughs> so going back to Randy uh, the 84 champ was convicted and sentenced to life without parole in 1988 but was eventually released in 2014 for reasons undisclosed under sealed motions tight I don't know <laughs> he's a tight there's a wall somewhere with his name on it. Tight, I'm, tight. I'm not saying he's a tight, but, but he's, a tight. he's a tight. Good um, Lurgan man would be able to pick up on that. I, my, 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 my tight senses are tingling, I shall say. Forget Spidey sense. Another uh, famous story, I actually had heard this one on another podcast before, was the Whittington brothers, Don and Bill. Some of the stories kind of say, suggest that they were working with Randy Lanier or were part of his operation. Certainly they competed in the same racing team at some points, um, a team called Blue Thunder. But their story is, is good enough in its own right to warrant. Um, so basically, right at the start, before the start of the 1979 Le Mans 24R, these two thrill-seeking brothers from Texas approached the Kramer racing team and requested that they wanted to take part. So all it took was $20,000 for each driver. Now, in today's money, that's about 100000 And basically, they could have a seat in the car. Kramer Racing then agreed to give them a seat in a Porsche 935K3, which the team had preferred it's prepared itself. But they weren't pleased to notice or to note that a third driver called Klaus Ludwig, who was an experienced and successful touring car driver himself, was going to be driving the car first. So they argued that if he crashed, then their $40,000 was gone, essentially. So they said, what would it take for us to be able to drive first? And the team boss offered uh, to sell them the car outright for $200,000. Okay. It was more than what the car was worth, but they said, okay, and got to, to drive away. They actually ended up winning the race, seemingly because there was heavy rain during a lot of the race, and... It slowed a lot of the other cars, but this 935 was essentially just a souped-up road car, and it had one thing that the other cars didn't have. Wipers. Ah, a big <laughs> advantage. Um, 
Ludwig actually ended up spending the most time behind the wheel and it's his skill and experience obviously contributed to it as well but the history books recognise that all three of the drivers resulted in this surprising win. Being so successful in their first race then obviously drew attention and they were offered other seats in other cars and they were able to, to make quite a successful racing career. They didn't limit themselves to endurance racing either. They also took part in IndyCar racing, the Indy 500 and so on, NASCAR and the International Race of Champions. Before they got into car racing, they were obviously thrill seekers all along. In the 70s, they raced airplanes and uh, they bought and ran the Road Atlanta track in Georgia. So this is where the, uh, the drug smuggling comes into it. It's rumoured that this track was not only used for practice, but because it had the longest straight of any track... It was also uh, used to land planes. <laughs> An investment, one might say. <laughs> I, can't, I did see somewhere there was a figure of the estimated of how much these brothers had smuggled over the years. Where was the track? Atlanta? In yeah. Atlanta. So they were flying up from South America, landing in Atlanta. And, uh, <laughs> well, one of the stories goes that when they went to Le Mans and, and paid their way onto the team, they were carrying about $500,000 worth of cash on them. Which is about two million in today's money, just like casually. Sure, here knocking around. Would you leave a house without it? Here, man's got to live. Exactly. Um, they were both charged in 1986, um, with conspiracy to bring marijuana into the U.S. as well as money laundering for Don, and income tax evasion for Bill, and were involved in the IMSA scandal revolving around a lot of the drivers' drug trafficking, basically. They were also no strangers to bending the rules in the racing itself, although this isn't really linked to the drugs, but it just shows the kind of characters that they were. Um, they fitted hidden nitrous bottles into their Porsches. Um, I think they were hidden in the sills of the cars. Um, I like it. And they had Competitive advantage, I call it. Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what everyone calls it until they're caught, or yeah. when they're caught. So yeah, two interesting characters. There's loads and loads of stuff about them online. And that's just a kind of a a blow by blow account of worth looking up your sin but yeah absolutely that has just reminded me of a podcast I listened to recently it's not drugs but it's one of the first black um, NASCAR racers he financed his racing career Moonshine Roll that's right yeah Randall Scott yeah sorry. yes I will come to that shortly sorry <laughs> cut, sorry cut that out then. Oh, you're right. sorry. It's all right. another person who I hadn't heard of and I'm actually I can't believe that I've never heard this story and I can't believe that nobody has made a film of it yet. Strap in. <laughs> this one gets interesting. Feel the G's. <laughs> uh, John Paul Sr. was another IMSA driver who found himself on the wrong side of the law. So I'll go back to the beginning on this one. Han Johan Paul was born in the Netherlands in 1939. He and his family moved to the US 15 years later and he changed his name to John Lee Paul. A few years later, he went on to study at Harvard and then became a mutual fund manager. Doesn't sound very exciting, but he did become a multi-millionaire. What do you do as a millionaire with your spare time and money? You go racing. Of course. <laughs> um, he started racing at the end of the 60s, won a few local championships. So far, sounds like everybody's dream. In 1972, his wife Joyce left him and took their son, John Paul Jr., with her. So Senior decided to stop driving, buy a boat and live at sea. Um, he, I think he lived at sea for a couple of years. He crossed the Atlantic solo a couple of times. He just basically went off the rails and went and lived on a boat. 
it takes a special type of person to just go, I'm going to live at sea. You know who I thought of when I heard he wanted seclusion, nobody around him? Robin. <laughs> <laughs> just go away, everyone. I can see Robin floating away in a boat. <laughs> So the article I read said uh, you could look at it as a combination between a midlife crisis and a gap year. (laughs) (laughs) I love us. So a few years later, he returned to racing and his son, who was older by now, also liked to race and he joined the crew. Um, Apparently, Senior was not very easy to get along with or work with. He was nicknamed the old pirate, not just because of living on the boat, but also he was notorious for his tantrums and just generally being... An ass. An ass. <laughs> uh, he was a man with two faces. One moment he would be charming, the other he could angrily throw a tire at you. One of the teams was quoted as, or one of the team members was quoted as saying. Done. I'm thinking of, you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> <laughs> but he got things done. In 1978, he won the 24-hour Le Mans. Um, and he was fairly successful with his own team, JLP Racing. In 1980, he got married again at a racetrack and started racing with his talented son. Apparently the son was actually a much better driver, but a more kind of shy and retiring character. You get hit with too many tires, what's wrong with him? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Apparently, it says, Junior was a dutiful son. He performed his chores diligently along with the rest of the crew, and jumped when Senior barked, but he always responded with, Yes sir, no sir. John Paul Junior began racing on his own in open wheel Formula Fords, and began winning straight away. Soon he was a sensation in a variety of high-powered cars. Uh, Co-driving with his father, he won the first IMSA GT race he entered in a Porsche 935 at Lime Rock Park in 1980. Uh, The Pauls drove together three more times that year, winning once and finishing second twice. They also placed ninth at Le Mans uh, with another driver. John Sr. finished second in the GT series and Junior, who didn't enter every race, was fourth. He also raced in Venezuela. He went from 22nd in the first lap of one race. Sorry, he went from 22nd to second in the first lap of one of the races. That's seriously impressive. And f- the fans started calling him Mad Dog. Is <laughs> <laughs> a different Mad Dog in this country? I was going to say. Yeah. Also involved in drugs, but a different guy. <laughs> in 1982, JLP Racing had two of the fastest cars in the world, both baby blue. The JLP Porsche, a hybrid with a special chassis that shone at endurance events and an explosive Lola Chevy for the sprints. Together they won five races, including both Daytona and Sebring, as a solo act. John Jr. won nine of 18 to become a 22, the youngest champion in IMSA history. Now we come to the interesting part. The drugs. The drugs. Because the team didn't have a major sponsor, again with this, how are they doing this? Um, it's likely that the JLP team's expenses exceeded the purses that it won by like hundreds of thousands of dollars. So even though the father was a multimillionaire, there was, still there was something going else going on. When I first went down to Atlanta, I was in awe of the operation, says Junior. I never really asked my dad how much money he spent. I just didn't feel it was appropriate. Well, if this guy is living in fear of his dad. He generally doesn't know. He's probably not going to ask. You know, he's just, if you're saying he's a good son, he just keeps his head down. There's a good chance he didn't actually know what was going on. So we now back up a little bit. In 1979, the two of them had both been handed suspended prison sentences and a large fine after 710 kilos of weed were found on Senior's boat and in a truck. Since Paul Jr. had found a large batch of weed in his father's garage when he was 14, he had been roped into helping with the trafficking. 
obviously father and son's business was profitable because they had gone on to to race and enter these races also in the meantime paul senior had divorced his second wife partly because he often cheated on her and shortly after the wife went missing having been last seen with paul senior not suspicious there was never any proof of what went on but she was never found sleep with the fishes um, what, or does she end up in a horse's ass? <laughs> <laughs> it was calculated that the poles between them transported over 90,000 kilos of weed between Colombia and the US between 1976 and 1981. In 1983, Senior's life hit another low. In April, he shot Stephen Carson, his former partner and a witness in a big drug smuggling case against him. Carson took five bullets to the chest, abdomen, and leg. Warning shots. However, lived to tell the tale. <laughs> Told you warning shots. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like Senior was going to be convicted, but he escaped and was later found in disguise in a Swiss bank. This has got to be a film. This is actually unbelievable. Yeah. I haven't, I'm not finished yet. <laughs> After being sent back to the US, he was convicted for drug trafficking and for shooting a witness, and apparently for digging an underground room in Georgia, which he had planned to use as a hiding place and weed farm. He was sentenced to 25 years. John Paul Jr., so the son, was sentenced to 28 months for drug traffic conspiracy around drug drug trafficking, and partly because he refused to testify against the father. Okay. He just sat out his sentence. But the father tried to escape again. <laughs> this guy's unbelievable. I'm not, I'm not for jail. Not no, for no, not for me. 25 years? No. He and another convict sprayed a guard in the face with a substance that contained, among other things, hot sauce. <laughs> and then tried to climb over a fence to reach a truck that was waiting on the other side. They had not, however, taken into account the fact that the guard was wearing glasses. So the guard just cleaned his glasses and fired two warning shots. <laughs> Through their heads. <laughs> <laughs> After the warning shots, the prisoners returned to their cells without resistance. <laughs> I would imagine so, yeah. So in 1989, Junior, the son, was released and returned to the racetrack. So obviously a lot of sponsors didn't want anything to do with him, uh, being a convicted drug trafficker. But So he was driving kind of mediocre cars, but he did pretty well. Um, it says the other people on the track didn't mind him there. They were just happy that his father wasn't there. Fair enough. <laughs> Imagine being foiled by a pair of glasses. This, this entire entire plan, you've mixed this concoction with hot sauce to blind the guy and you throw it in and he's wearing glasses. It's not exactly Shawshank Redemption, is it? Like, escape? No. <laughs> but the guy had some good aspirations. There was a lot of escape plans. You know, you're going to shoot the partner, but it never really worked out for him, did it? No. Oh, we're still not finished. Yeah. All right, First. here we go. <laughs> Senior then was released in 1999. So and how long have he served? When did he go? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I can't remember. 84, I think. 84 to 99. Uh, what? Three, or, uh, three-fifths of a sentence. So, and he moved to Florida to be with the son. While he was there, he met a woman called Colleen Wood through an advert. He won her over, conveniently leaving aside the fact that he had links to a large drug network and had just been in jail. Money talks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What do you deal drugs? Oh, here, have a Gucci handbag. There's a boat. <laughs> in December of 2000, Colleen suddenly went missing. Unfortunate and not at all suspicious. Nope. Colleen's I son like to be his friend. googled his mother's new boyfriend and got the scare of a lifetime. 
he then found out he was a convicted felon, that his second wife had also disappeared. Um, Senior obviously claimed he had nothing to do with it. He did admit that he and Colleen had broken up and uh, when the police tried to interrogate him, he disappeared. He escaped with his boat. Two years later, an episode of the TV show Unsolved Mysteries was dedicated to the case. A viewer recognised Paul Senior who lived on Fiji at the time, but the American police were not able to catch up with him. Years later, he was spotted again, this time in Thailand. He has supposedly at this point sold the boat. He's still missing. So he's out there. He's out and about. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're saying is, if you spot him, if he seems like an interesting guy, don't be his girlfriend, don't be his wife. No. Nope. Or you sleep with the fishes. Sleep with the fishes. <laughs> what a lunatic. So like that, like I can't believe I've never heard or no. seen any of that story before. Like Because the more I, I read it, I was like, what? 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 <laughs> I would say the big film companies have started looking at and went there's no way we're gonna wait till he dies all right (laughs) yeah Yeah, because would you want him turn up on set or like people will not believe this if i'm making a film no that's what i was thinking people wouldn't believe it he'd be there on hand he's like directing them and he's like yeah i shot him like this and shoots another guy three times in the chest (laughs) okay all right we we, will believe you i would shot it did you get that in film oh so that's uh the imsa the marijuana agency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to NASCAR. So as some of you know, as you mentioned earlier on, NASCAR has it, its roots in smuggling, um, beginning in the Prohibition era with uh, drivers transporting moonshine from rural areas or from Canada. So they had to make some resourceful changes to their vehicles to elude the authorities. Uh, if it hadn't been for whiskey, NASCAR wouldn't have been formed. That's a fact, Junior Johnson told the BBC. Stock car racing had its roots in Appalachia, where producing and selling homemade whiskey offered liquid salvation for family farms seeking to escape crippling poverty, especially during the Depression. It continued to thrive even after Prohibition's repeal, thanks to the persistence of dry counties and also a desire to just evade taxes in general, which were very high on alcohol. Ironically, it was a devout teetotaler who did more for the bootlegging business in the years following Prohibition than anyone else. While automaker Henry Ford banned drinking by his workers, his Ford V8 was literally the engine that drove moonshining. Quite ironic. (laughs) There's a quote from a chap called Neil Thompson who wrote a book called Driving with the Devil, Southern Moonshine, Detroit Wheels and the Birth of NASCAR. I would actually probably quite like to read the book. Quite a mouthful. Bootleggers had experimented with different cars over time, but they were never quite fast enough for their tastes, says Thompson. It turns out Ford accidentally created the perfect moonshine delivery vehicle. With the Ford V8, there was suddenly an engine that was a match for their profession. It was fast enough to stay one step ahead of the law, rugged enough for the mountain roads, and had a big enough trunk and back seat to squeeze in moonshine. With relative ease, you could also make modifications to the V8 to gain a few extra miles per hour of speed to further elude revenue agents bootleggers tricked out their cars with features that seemed to be straight out of a Looney Tunes cartoon, like devices that could put an oil slick down onto the road if you pressed a button. Smoke machines, that Smoke kind of machines, thing. Smoke um, machines, bucket loads of tacks to puncture the tires. Love it. <laughs> Sounds that's, very... that's, where, that's where Looney Tunes got their ideas. Yeah, he's going to throw it out a banana peel shortly. So in the 1930s then, these moonshiners began to race their cars at local fairgrounds and racetracks, where they discovered that the public were quite happy to come and pay and watch that's kind of where nascar and stock car racing in general was born 
So these days there are still people who are carrying on that grand old tradition, though a lot of them have graduated to drug smuggling rather than moonshine. It is the the new moonshine. In 2016, part-time NASCAR competitor Derek White was among nearly 60 people targeted by Canadian police in what has been described as the biggest tobacco smuggling bust in North American history. Now, it's not illegal drugs, but it's still related, obviously. That case is actually still ongoing because the Quebec side of the case, they were acquitted on those charges, but the US side wasn't. So they're now mounting a constitutional challenge against them. It's it's still ongoing, that one. It's messy is what you're saying? Yeah. Those old soft Canadians (laughs) let them off with it. NASCAR also seems to have a problem not only with smuggling and, and dealing that we have been talking about, but also with the drivers and crews actually taking the drugs. <laughs> Entirely. So much so that they actually have a road to recovery program written into their rulebook. So they have random drugs testing, which I assume is, you know, yeah, standard for most, like any professional sports, I imagine, have yeah. this. But if you feel the drugs tests but you go through this road to recovery program, then you're allowed to come back. Okay. So, so they expect you to have a problem. And- yeah, it obviously is a big problem if they have something they got in place, though. A quick Google search, will, you'll see lists of people who have gone through it. Um, notably recently, the pit crew for the number 13 Chevrolet, one Mr. Matt Borland. Matt Borland. I hear he loves the drugs. Loves the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> And there was Get the wingdings in you boys, let's go. <laughs> Imagine the guy putting on the wheel and he's stoned off his tits. I don't see a wheel, I see a bright, bright flower in front of me. I just, you would not, like, they, what are they doing, 200 mile an hour around Noble? Oh, well, yeah. And some guy that's off his head's putting the wheel on him, good man. That's no trust. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that or idiocy. Uh, one of the most interesting ones of the, the NASCAR drivers that I came across was a chap called Jeremy Mayfield. He remains suspended indefinitely as a driver and car owner. In 2009, he failed two drugs tests. Uh, the drug was meth, and the suspension was upheld after two appeals. Mayfield's stepmother claimed that she had seen him using drugs before over the years, and that was kind of part of the reason, I think, why the case went badly, because there was it a history seemed that he had prior history. That he had no teeth. He refused to go through the rehab program, though, because he said, if I do, I'm admitting that I'm guilty okay. and, I, and I won't do that. Yeah. So he he refuses to do it. Now, that's only part of the story. The story also includes his five dogs attacking a mail carrier, his arrest after approximately $100,000 of stolen goods and a, a gram and a half of meth, which I don't think is very much, was confiscated at a rate of his home. Him, he and his wife were evicted from their 12,000 square feet house in 2012 because they owed $82,000 in back taxes. And in December 2013, the foreclosed home was burned to the ground in a firefighter training exercise. What? (laughs) So it's been over 10 years since he was banned after testing positive for meth, something that was a controversial result because he claimed that it was a combination of Adderall and Claritin that that gave this false positive. Okay. He also was quoted around the time as saying Brian France, who was like the owner of NASCAR, or the head of NASCAR, uh, out there talking about effective drug policy is kind of like Al Capone talking about effective law enforcement, he said back then. <laughs> 
that's the way I feel about it. The pot shouldn't be calling the kettle black. Know what I'm saying? Oh dear. Shots fired. That's it. It took nine years to prove it, but turns out Mayfeld's claims about France were right. The powerful leader who banned him for failing a drugs test was using drugs himself. As you do. Do as I say, not as I do. Is that the, the same? Like storm it. it. Oh yeah, my. It does. Um, he was arrested in 2018 for DWI and was also found to be in possession of oxycodone. Yeah, that's a big thing in the states as well. Antidepressant or something? Is it? Or? I'm not even sure. It might be. Like, it's street names, just oxy. Like, but it's a it's something that isn't really a big thing here compared to the states. But like meth, meth's the same. Wouldn't be a massive thing here. I think it's on the increase, but not in the way that America's ravaged with it. There's a lot more camper vans about in Northern Ireland, so it's maybe on the rise now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't see them exploding, it's all right. So Mayfield thinks that he has been proven right, and this backs up his story of saying that he didn't take the meth, that it was the combination of the drugs. Um, nobody will ever really know for sure. Um, a doc- One doctor said that if Mayfield had used the amount of meth that the test said that he had, he'd either be dead or a chronic user. And if you've ever seen a chronic user of meth, they've like Teeth have all fallen out and like they're a mess. The would he have been like able to go and compete? I would have been actually possibly not. But um, another theory is that the Adderall Claritin combination thing um, was resulted from a rig test. Um, NASCAR had only introduced their new drug policy that year, so they couldn't have word getting out that the test might be faulty. Plus, Claritin was also a sponsor at the time. Yeah, so it's a lot of things So they didn't want to say, <laughs> this could possibly lead to a failed drug test. From our sponsor. Um, Mayfield's NASCAR career was pretty much over in 2009 before all this happened anyway. He was already a backmarker for the team. He was kind of on his way down. Yeah. So he ended up losing on a technicality that uh, NASCAR has a waiver to say that they are not allowed to take legal action against the sport. Oh, the drivers can't? Mm-hmm. Oh, right, right, fair enough. So that's put up or shut up. Yeah, pretty much. So that was NASCAR. Tasty. <laughs> um, the final one that I have, I don't think any discussion of uh, the drugs trade and racing could be complete without this final story. The compact Renault 4 was the car that got Columbia Mobile. They were cheap, robust, Although not really made for racing. They're like a mountain goat. Still, local enthusiasts raced them in a series called the Copa Renault 4 Championship at the Autodromo Ricardo Mejia circuit in Bogota, amongst other places. And one of the big drivers on the scene was a cartel leader. He's, one of quotes was saying that, uh, I can't de- deny it, life smiles at me, I'm a lucky man. <laughs> Seemingly, this chap um even though all the cars were supposed to be the same um other talented drivers would catch him in the corners and then he would get away in the straights yep and it seemed that people were the race authorities seemed to be turning a bit of a blind eye to this there was also rumors that he paid off police to stop some of the faster drivers before they arrived at the track to delay them from arriving at the race at all less setup time or else do you say not out of here in the press, journalists were careful to stay away from reporting his profession. He started off dealing used bicycles, reports said, and later went into cars and property. The man I'm talking about is, of course, Pablo Escobar. The man himself. <laughs> Good race in history. 
Yeah, absolutely. Level fours, eh? Humble beginnings. I actually, I worked with a girl for a couple of weeks in England. Um, she's from Croatia, and we get talking cars, and Croatia is still fairly poor, not the way it was 20, 30 years ago, but they were saying, like, Mark 1s, Mark 2s are in abundance, they're everywhere. Oh, so better like Canary Islands are like that? Yeah, better climates too, so they, they survive longer, but she was saying that, that she has friends that every year there's a race there, like it's like a endurance race in rental fours and they're racing it i was like i haven't <laughs> even seen a rental four in 20 years never mind doing race competitions in them so the pub started off in a rental four um, so it says here when escobar showed up at the races it was an event in addition to the four renos he would bring there would be support trucks food champagne girls and the man himself in his own helicopter julian julian calais a competitor said i wonder if anyone really believed he did not sell drugs I can imagine the other pit crews with donkeys and carrying stuff and this guy's got the women and cocaine, champagne, everything flowing. Later he graduated to more powerful cars like the Porsche 935. Um, he made a bet with an op- another open wheel driver, Ricardo Londono, Colombia's most famous driver. At a hill climb event in Medellin, he wagered he would come within 15 seconds of Londono's time. Escobar finished 8 seconds back, which he called a win. I'm sure nobody was going to argue. No, I don't think. <laughs> yes, boss, no boss. Th- three minutes behind, he's like, oh, you're doing all right there, Escobar, don't worry about it. I'll um, keep my hands. One of the quotes that I read um, from a newspaper very optimistically said that he stopped racing when his day job got in the way. Well, yeah, he's a busy man, I suppose, <laughs> running those business empires. So uh, I'll sum it up with this. Cars bring us together. Whether you're a Miata guy on the street hot rod tinkerer the sultan of brunei or the biggest narco terrorist in the world there's something about four wheels and an engine that speaks to us if you can somehow enjoy that passion without killing stealing or drug dealing even better it isn't a cheap hobby though so choose wisely <laughs> it's very true <laughs> <laughs> very good oh dear thanks very much Bradley. yep that was enjoyed good. that oh i went down so many rabbit holes like i could have talked there for another hour honestly <laughs> but even locally like, some of the stories are amazing there's a lot of stuff locally like uh, anyone not in this country or maybe will know about like there's a lot of paramilitary activity and especially more so the 10 years back kind of thing they would have been but a lot of those guys were big involved in motorsport you know you had hot rod racing um not super bike like uh we call it like northwest like road bike road racing, racing, that kind of thing. And they pump money into stuff left, right and centre because it was the kind of thing where you're not supposed to have all this money. You're probably living in a, a house in a council estate. You know, where do you get rid of it? I pump it into that bike, pump it into that car. And I know guys, and we have listeners here that were racing against those guys that said that you just knew rightly. You weren't. You could drive the ass off the car, but they had this, that and the other done to it and no one was ever going to question it. Kind of like Escobar, but on a smaller scale. Yeah. It just got away with it. Nobody asked any questions because they didn't want the trouble. Exactly, yeah. And it will come to your door. It's a small country. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just to finish up for the today then, we're going to move on to our listeners' questions and comments. And we'll start off oddly on a non-car related one. With a bit of backtracking to do because there were questions from previous episode, but because of the... Yeah, with when we had Andy on, we ran way, way over. So we said we banked the questions yep. to this time. So this is a mixture of Old questions from the previous episode in this. So Adam Buchanan... He wants to. He says, as an owner of a hybrid ugh, and a fellow cyclist, I would like to hear about Nigel's bicycle setup. Um, 
It's not anything to... I've got three bikes because I've started cycling probably four or five years ago. I've got an aluminium-framed cube. Uh, Agri. Agri. Agri, whatever you want to call it. I'll take your word for it. Um, <laughs> it's running Mavic wheels, um, Retie Evo front bars, 105 Shimano gear set, uh, physics seat. Um, my carbon bike is a giant Propel running um, Retie Evo front Front, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> Brakes? No. The Wheels, bars, handles, brakes. Front, yes, bars. <laughs> just, just had a stroke there. <laughs> front bars, it is full Tegra gear set and it is the standard wheels on it. Although I do pl- plan to buy some hunt wheels in the near future when I can afford to, which might be a long way things are going. Um, mountain bike, I've just recently bought. I used to have a, what do you call it? Oh, flip me. Cube giant. No, it's an American company. Specialist? No. That's probably not even right. I used to have a Marin Shore Trail. Oh, and yeah. then recently I have upgraded to a giant Talon, Talon 1. So it's a 29er. Nothing done to it. It's a solid solid bike. No, it's not. It's just front forks. Hardtail. That's the word I'm looking for. That's I can almost talk. It's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> you could have been speaking French. I Chinese. was about to say that none of that <laughs> meant anything to me, I'm afraid. I used to sell. I caught a few words like bike. I used and to sell cure. and work on bikes when I was in Halfords. And I can set a bike up, not a problem. I'm really good at it. But it's only because I know how it works. Other than that, like, see, uh, like bikes, I'm like, nah, no, no thanks. Not so, for me. If it hasn't got an engine, I don't care. That's my setup. The cubes for winter, the giant propels for summer, and the mountain bikes for funsies. Yeah, go out <laughs> with Johnny and Robin and Ricky for the whole time. Go out and get wrecked. Yes, Ricky gets us lost usually, but there you go. <laughs> Thanks for the question. Yes, up the bikes. Um, Ronan underscore hits twenty one. He says, "Why is it so hard to get the right head gasket you ordered from an auto parts store?" And lots of emojis after it. Lee, that's yours. <laughs> Ronan and I actually discussed this last week. Um. I hasten to add that he's not talking about my farm, so... It's all good then? Yeah, it's all good. Um, Anthony underscore M85. Cars not built anymore that you wish were. Loads. There's so many. Yeah. I, I'm going to be very stereotypical and go with Mark Three, but even just for the fact that you would be able to get panels, parts, you know, any older cars. I think a lot of limited edition cars, I think I would be thinking more towards. Yeah. Rather than general, you know... What are you thinking? Evo E30 M3. Oh, that was nice. <laughs> there was a company, do you remember, it was rebuilt in like the modern tech on the Lancia Delta Integrale? It was like a green render they had Is up. Is that the Stratos? Oh, no, no the Integrale. Sorry. The Integrale. I thought you were talking about the one Clarkson. The kit car one. Then there's, um, there's a crowd in Texas have bought all, actually from our DeLorean episode we talked about it, have bought all the parts and the old frames and bodies yeah. and they're going to start rebuilding them under like a small manufacturer's license. So I suppose that's kind of Maybe they'll make them similar. right this time. Oh, I put a VR6 Turbo in them and be done with it. Um, that's a, yeah, general sweeping answer. Yeah, sort of. I actually would prefer the cars that I own to be remade. So again, just for parts more than anything, that would be pretty cool. I'm going to say a new Sirocco because if they still made those, I probably would have bought a new Sirocco instead of a Superb. Be you strong. Can, be strongly. You can pre- <laughs> upset about losing her Sirocco. Did you arrive today? Like the first thing he said to me was, it's not the Sirocco. Yep. It's not. <laughs> Disgraceful. By this time next week, I'll be like, I love the Superb. It's great. But I'm, at the minute, I'm still just mourning the loss of the Sirocco. I drove for five hours and felt like I drove five minutes. Yeah. 
So my mum says it's like I fell asleep hotel. and the car drove itself. <laughs> that old Tesla? Tesla autopilot. <laughs> Don't go to Germany. Uh, D. Lynch, 88. I'd love an electric-powered sleeper with full beast mode. Stock ready when 100 with stupid instant power and torque. If you could Tesla power any VAG car, what would it be? My dad used to... He This is like the old school version of this. He used to say that he always wanted to get... Like an old Morris Minor, you know, they're like ones with the wooden bits on the back. The Traveller, yeah. And put some fucking mad like Granada engine or like a Highbus engine or something in it. Because he said exactly for that reason of some old boy sitting at the lights in his Morris Minor and just... <laughs> My dad back years ago bought a Morris Minor van. He had loads of Morris Minor vans and he bought one off a guy that... I can't remember what engine gearbox and back axle was in it, but he says like... It was, I could find out often and say it again, but whatever it was, was pretty high powered and wasn't supposed to be in there. And he says it was the, the equivalent of like a, like a hot rod back in the 70s in Northern Ireland. He says you pull up the lights and it's like thump, 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 just taking over. And it turned out then he couldn't get it insured and had to get rid of it again. It was too much for him. <laughs> I, I think it's a simple answer for me. Um, a synchro mark two of some sort. Yeah, put the power down. Put the power down. Because you try to put that instant torque in anything two wheel drive. It's just going to spin up. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. A rally would be delicious. <laughs> I would do something big, like an A8, because the motors obviously have the power and torque to move something like that. I'm sort of thinking something that size, moving that quick, would be pretty cool. Yeah, would be cool. That would be cool. So I like say I semi-agree with you, but I still haven't embraced the electric revolution, so... No, neither have I. <laughs> R. Fordo, he says... Love listening to the podcast. Keep up the great work, guys. Thanks very much for that. Cheers. Yeah, thank you. Um, this one, S14 OCP, is a throwback to last the last episode we did. He says, remember forum build threads? What good ones did you follow back in the day? RMS Funny Pictures thread. It's my favourite. That was an epic one, to be My favourite thread of all time, anywhere. Oh, that, that went on. I don't know many pages was that. Just, Hundreds. And they're all lost now because of photo bucket. I think my favourite ever was... Probably Mark King's Mondeo Cosworth. Oh yes, that's the Mark. It was a Mark Railing One Mondeo, yeah. Rail and Motorsport built Mark One Mondeo. Mark has a is a man with impeccable taste and everything's done right. And yeah, to the best. Four wheel drive converted Cosworth running gear, five hundred odd horsepower sequential gearbox. Now saying that he had it out last week and I came home in a recovery truck. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Here, oh, I dear. Tell, tell you what, he's one of those guys. He just like. Drive your car. Yeah, and yeah. if it breaks, we'll get it sorted. It's yeah. happened before, I think. After an extensive rebuild, the last time it came out, the oil pump failed on him. And there was a knock then on it. And oh, the, no. Yeah, so that that wasn't this time, it was before. But it's just he's just a guy who's just like, get up and get on with it and do it. I, he's not the sort of guy that would just sort of put something in the corner of a shed and just go, isn't that pretty? He'll drive the thing. No, he does. And yeah, him and see. Paul and the other guys that run about with him are all the same. They've all really tidy forwards, but they give them abuse, which is great. Yes, I remember Rapid run down the Aye. M5 to a certain car show and he was in a, he was actually in an M6 at the time and I think with Paul was in the co- uh, the Sierra Cosworth yeah, yeah fun, fun under, under a certain bridge at 150 mile an hour that you witnessed from no other car and then we got to the show and Paul's front end need resprayed because of the stone chips yep <laughs> <laughs> standard practice <laughs> um, for me uh, there's two stick out in my head first one is a guy Chris Cluel who's another podcaster had a Mark One, a Mark One Golf that he built for his wife. It was Manila Green, um, 
gold BBSs, and I remember reading it and watching it. The, everything was self-built, and I was just like, even right down to the engine, they built like a hybrid 16-valve, 2.1 on carbs, and I was amazed by it, and I think it's pretty much what influenced me with my Mark III, because when you see the two cars together on the paper, they're the same car, except one's a Mark II, one, or one's a Mark III, and one's a Mark One. The other one was, there's a thread, and I'll say, I had to put a link to it, because it's actually amazing. When I worked in Euro car parts and did very little, I used to read build threads all the time, uh, especially on a Saturday. And there was one called Minor Rust Repair on my M3, I think it is. And it's a southern guy with an E30 M3 who said, I bought this M3, I'm going to do minor rust repair. So I thought he's going to cut the sills out and blah, blah, blah. The thing ended up getting dipped. It was a bare shell. It got dipped. And then he started to rebuild it. And it was a step-by-step guide of like how to sand, how to apply body filler, how to sand it. And it was a ground-up rebuild on a bare shell. And he had any previous experience. He just learned as he went. I think him and his mate built and drove rally cars. But for themselves, it wasn't anything. No, it wasn't a professional business because yeah. he was doing it out of a single garage at home. The quality, it was black. I always wondered why I never, I never seen the car about down south or events or anything like that but he built it and he was just like yeah it's, it's going to get driven but it's an amazing build thread but it's a really good he's a good sense of humor and i was saying to lee about it that it's like the same kind of humor as project binky except it's written down it's not on on video kind of thing and i think it would have translated really well if it had been a youtube series because your guy's sense of humor when things go wrong and likes that he just makes fun of it and gets on with it but the in depth like if you want to see how to restore a car read that build thread like it it tells you how to do it. Yeah, that's sort of brought another sort of thing into my head too. Like with the decline of forums, and thankfully RMS Motor is still going, particularly in the VAG scene, Edition 38 has gone as well. Gone, isn't it? yeah. The amount um, of wealth. Now, now it's just Facebook. Ta-da, here yeah. it is. There's no build thread. It's just, no. look what I've done. And 80 people asking the same question every oh, week. Scene secrets all will be revealed at such and such a show. No, the, the only volkswagen type one I can think of that's still going that's worth for knowledge is club polo and they're like in Briscoda depth. as well Briscoda, very very similar with the small block engines and the in-depth knowledge not as incredible is and vortex still there yes but i don't know. gti golf gti i think still going that's pretty good too on vortex no no oh, oh sorry it's own one um vortex i don't know what is going on the american one because it's it's almost dead if it's not it's all over the shop yeah and i could but is the old stuff still there yes but I got banned of it a couple of years back. I don't know why. I just couldn't log back in anymore. And it was like, all right, screw you. I'm way home. Screw that. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the, with the decline of forums now, when you Google a problem, forum answers don't come up sometimes. No, where, where they always did, yeah. It's uh, just... One thing, I, I learned so much from forums. And that was, I think that was why I was I keep a meticulous build thread. And I think it was because it was like, I've learned from this, so yeah. if I can give back and let somebody else learn from it, or even if they can see my mistakes and go, well, I'm not going to do what that dickhead did, you know, <laughs> fair play to him. So all we can say is support RMS Motor. Yeah, <laughs> support it while it's still there. <laughs> Jim underscore yearly. Have you ever owned, built, or driven a tuned VAG diesel? Several. Th- thankfully not. I have had a Mark II with a PD conversion. That's right. Black one. Um roughly 200 brake just not an animal Positive. torque monster yeah um what else have i had had a scooter fabio vrs um wee bit tuned it was amazing amazing wee wee car. oh so good um that's about the height of the tune diesel i've had the, the odd daily with a map on it just you know aye including your own at the minute 
Yeah. Um, Mopping's the cheapest way to get the smiles. Like. You're a performance diesel fan? Yeah, I've never really done any tuning or anything. Just whatever was standard. Like, I focus on the Sirocco and stuff. Just uh, factory sporty diesel, as I refer to them. I think we should have had Stefan in to answer that question. Yeah, that's a man for it. <laughs> Do you remember Stefan's Mark III? That <laughs> red one. Wasn't there something done dead that was unusual? Every mod? Like, was I don't know 90, anything 90 about it. Yes. Chinese injectors. Uh, the every mod with the... Diode. Yeah. So we were sitting in McDonald's car park. We had got a drive through and we were sitting eating in the car and he put his cup into the like the bottom of the steering wheel into the, like the bottom hole in the steering wheel to set just as he was eating. This was a Mark III TDI with 240,000 mile on it, we'll add. And the car rattled so much that the cup was just spinning around. It was just like as it was like that scene out of Jurassic Park, only it wasn't. Yeah, that's exactly. But that wee thing shifted. My I the the twelve GTI at the time was one hundred and fifteen horsepower, like, and the two sat together easily. I won't say he passed me ever. I think at the time the Mark Threes were released, and they had the GTI, and then the TDI. I think suddenly. Northern Ireland mapped their TDI and it wasn't far off a GTI. Yeah, I'm not surprised. The 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 diesel Mark Threes had like the TD, which was like the mechanical style, and then the later ones TDI. had the TDI, which was like the early onset of the Mark Four TDI, like the 110 horsepower and the 90 horsepower before the MPD. But like those are. Is Stefan's black one a TDI? A, yes, it's a TDI and it's, he's going to PD convert it. Okay. So he's a Fabia VRS setting that he has all the bits for and. He was daily in the Fabia, and he done all like the time belt, water pump, everything. Drove it for a while, and he's just going to take the two side by side and go Plant's slap into go. that. Yep, six speed box, that kind of thing. And uh, Mark Three, and a Mark Three, really nice black. I think you can US buy off the shelf mounts now for that. Conversion. You can. Oh. Uh, Epitech do the gearbox mount, you do, but you actually need to move the cup from the subframe a wee bit. They're substantial mounts because I remember mine. It was yeah heavy they're, duty. They're hefty. I was actually didn't have to be like when you to stop the rattle, <laughs> stop it turn itself. Out I the remember end. the Mark II. The Mark II when you came to stop was just dugga, dugga, dugga. I was actually that was a PD. Like that was the first time I ever met you. You were driving that car. We met you after Harmony Hills show at the petrol station to buy something off you, which was probably something stupid. Um, at the petrol station before you come back onto the yes. motorway, and you were driving that, and I was like, "This thing's mental." Because it was the engine bits of it painted orange. Ah, there's a bit of Jaffa going on. So yeah, it was, was a strange one, but yeah. I was like, that thing would be an animal. There was a Mark IV loom basically underneath the rear seat of it. Of course, yeah. So A uh, fire waiting to happen. Yeah. Um, Not bit, done by you, will add. No, it was a, a cheap project I found in Slough in London, so I just flew over and grabbed it. Yeah. I had a fun for about a year. Then. Fuel gauge didn't work, so I just kept topping it up with diesel. <laughs> Not that you White, that of course, I definitely didn't run red. No, no illegal fuel <laughs> here. <laughs> W underscore 80 RLY, Borley, he says, what's your thoughts on BBS going bankrupt? I hope they can recover from this. I think we kind of covered that in our topic or the news earlier. Be grand. Yeah, don't be worry grand. about it, Borley. There'll always be Chinese copies out there anyway. <laughs> if, you're, if you're that way inclined, not that I'm saying that you are. <laughs> keep digging there, I'll Connor. keep digging, because uh, that man will break my legs. <laughs> Anthony underscore M85 again, he says, unpopular opinion. Sitting in traffic is satisfying. Slow moving traffic on the M2. Free car spotting plus music. And I can hear Lee already. Because you sit on the M50, don't you, Lee? Fuck traffic. <laughs> That's because there's nothing but crap sits in the M50. Fuck the M50. Yeah. And the Nice Road, it can fuck off as well. But you've got DSG now, so you're good. 
You can relax. I've got fucking stupid you stop to, start though. You need to tune in it's to Classic gonna FM. Or actually, something. drive me insane. She's not far off Classic FM. She listens to radio too. It's like my dad. No, it's not really radio. Oh, these are both like yeah. my dad. Thank you, Nigel. I uh, like a bit of. Smoothie. Can't get it when you're that far south though. Um, what's that radio station I've listened to recently? I forgot. It's not Smooth FM. That's a bit too magic. Magic. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> then you get Magic Eighties. Magic 90s. I do like absolute radio 80s. Connor's eyes are rolling around his head here. I think I'll stick with, stick with my slip <laughs> <laughs> Where, like, Where do you find that place, that music in their day to play that? For me? Driving home. Honestly, Leah's <laughs> <laughs> nearly spastic. Have you ever seen the Gattis sketch? Where no. he's talking about the ravers? No. Oh, yes. I, yes. <laughs> the funeral? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's rough. Honestly, from the minute I let me just up, pour a lovely bath for you, dear. <laughs> stick the rave music on. Honestly, from the minute I wake up, if I'm driving to work, if I'm not listening to podcasts, I will stick metal on. I will stick whatever, like a big hip hop too as well. But like, I can get up first thing in the morning, last thing at night, and I'll stick Metallica, Dark Throne, any like yeah. stuff you can slaughter goats to, you know, that kind of thing. I'll stick it on. There's no issue. I, I mean, my, my music's all over the place. Like you know? I, I'm the same. The only thing I don't listen to is country music. Okay. There's certain types of country music. I can like get Johnny into. Cash is yeah. fine. Um, but you get Keith the, Urban's not bad. If you get the deep, dark, drug-taking, wife-shooting type country music, I can get that. But I'm hanging about Hugo Duncan. Yeah, if you get the Northern Remo, Ireland, Richie Remo. get the Northern <laughs> Ireland. Type. Irish country. Oh my god, it makes me want to stab myself. <laughs> Do you remember Carfest? Probably a Carfest. I never went to it I'm for that exact reason. Richie Remo played that one year he probably before did. he hit the big time. Strumming your guitar <laughs> was a get a set about the, the, <laughs> the music video Slow Fade. I'm standing in a field. Slow Fade. I've got a horse. I don't want any of your red cameras <laughs> like that. Slow Fade. On a Sony Viewfinder. Oh, it drives me. I used to work with a guy that done country music and I could have headbutted him every time he spoke. And he had this put on accent. It was actually ridiculous. Like we were getting plants there about a month after lockdown in the local nursery, the wee nursery in Cross and Cravey. Nobody will know where that is. And I was standing at the till, and this fellow was serving us. And uh, I looked at the wall, and there was you know usual local what's happening stuff. Yeah. And there was this advert for this guy, this country singer, and it was you know country best of country music get my cd now blah blah and looked at it I looked at the man behind the it was hill. him it was him <laughs> <laughs> i bet he just slipped it up there I was like, oh, so he's running the nursery plus he was selling doing his hu- cds at the back it was hugo duncan you know um bit off topic there sorry that's just slightly <laughs> buster conrad he says if you could cure coronavirus by getting rid of one model of car what would it be and why is it a mark three oh that's beautiful i hate him <laughs> i actually hate him <laughs> Uh, Ronan underscore hits 21 again whose car will be on the road first mine, Corey or Josh's and he's referring to the guys from Revival Motoring Corey's built in a Mark 3 Polo with a he'll be waiting this time next year to get parts for it yeah well myself and this Randy Maxwell have actually been sorting them out with a few bits because they never got that car over there and he says like the trying to build a car in a country where it was never, never existed yeah. trying to get the parts for it's crazy Josh is building an E36 M3. I think Corey's car is almost ready for the road. I, I know Ronan's isn't. Here. Ronan's, he's Ronan's he's making progress though, yeah. He, he was messaging me yesterday and he was like, oh, I'm down in the shed. And I was like, good man, keep at it. And he was like, but I can only get this, that and the other done. And I was like, but at least you're getting those bits done. What, yeah. You know, you're better than sitting at home. I'm sitting here. It's not a box ticked. I'm scraping moss off the driveway. Going, <laughs> I'm not getting anything done. 
uh, a name we just mentioned, Andy Maxwell. He says, what was or is your favorite car you've ever owned? And it can probably tie in with the next question. says, what's the car you regret selling? My Sirocco. <laughs> Poor Lee. Let it go, Lee. Let it go. <laughs> Best car I've ever owned or favorite car is the Nova. Obviously, I've said that many, many times. Um, but I, I already know. And it's only been one day that the car I'm going to regret selling is a Sirocco. What you don't sell anything, so you I can't even answer. I can't answer this question. <laughs> I was just—I was thinking that there an hour ago. My my favorite car, probably have and have ever owned and do own, is probably my Mark Three. Um, it's likely the furthest I've ever pushed a car. I'm pushing myself with it. I've made so many friends with it. It's just been a real. Like I've been working cars for fifteen years or more, and more actually, yeah. And I've learned more on that car probably than I have any time else because I just keep pushing and pushing and Build pushing. a relationship with a car. That's it, yeah. Like, And people think I'm mad because I'm replacing strut tires in a car where I can still go and buy a clean one but it's just, it's my car. That's yeah. the way I think of it. One car I regret selling and I've said it many times is my Mark II. Oh. And I really want it back. Have you seen how hard it is to get a basic Mark II now? Have you seen how hard it is to get your own Mark II back? Because yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's scary. It's getting crazy. It's sad. Myself, mold uh, white White Mark II GTI. Oh. L-I-W. 79, 79. Yeah. The, red, the reds is in retention, by the way. It's going on the G60. <laughs> oh, nice. I painted the wheels on that before you owned them. You got those off Chris McKim, the Smiths? Yes. Yep, I painted Black those. Black Sanders. That, them wheels we originally them painted them pink. There's pink paint under that. Yeah. Uh, chipped off and I seen it. Yeah. Was there pink? Yeah. Oh, yes. We did it as a laugh and then we're like, oh, shit. And then we couldn't, we were like... <laughs> I don't know what I painted. We tried to get it off and we fucking, we put it in like a bucket of nitromorse and like the pink wouldn't come off. Like it was, it's on there forever. I was painting my engine bay (laughs) and in the polo at the time they painted it like bright, hot pink and his wheel was lying and I was like, I'm going to spray one of these centers pink for a laugh before I do them black. And I put it on the, what was the NS Dubs form at the time, which he was, he was running and I put it into my build thread, and all people were commenting and laughing because they knew it was his wheels. <laughs> and then he rang me and was like, what the hell did you do to my wheels? So I was like, it's grand, we'll get it off. I put it into the Nitromorse, wouldn't touch it. And we sanded most of it off, but yeah. I just could not get it to shift. Like, it was a, it kind of backfired on me. Um, that wee Mark II, I deleted it. Uh, took it to shows. Had hangovers in it. Oh, <laughs> I've never seen anybody yeah. have worse hangover than that. <laughs> It was just great. Um, just a wee eight valve GTI, fairly tidy, put good suspension in it, nice wheels, and just that's just what you want in a Mark II. You said before there's a guy currently restoring it, didn't you? Yeah, I don't know if it's dead. Matty Donovan would know better. Uh, Gavin Agar actually pulled it off me. Um, he's out, he's Polly Walter direction, I think it is. And yeah, he done a full strip down on it. It's nice to know it's still out there though for something that I think the last has. picture I've seen it was basically back together more or less that's good uh, but uh, I, I, I sound like Boris Johnson here <laughs> <laughs> this is a government announcement <laughs> I must actually mess him about the reds again but uh, we'd be interested to see if he'd sell it uh, well watch his space <laughs> and what's the favourite car you have or have have or do you own have or do you own if that's the one that you miss is it the same car or is there a particular one that is your favourite yeah, I would still stick with Mark II. That's cool. So yeah. the Mark V comes a very close second. Hmm. Yeah, you've been fairly attached to that. As I say, 
deposit taken on the boy's going to be a while here to take it by the looks of it um but if it doesn't sell i'll not care to him or not that's the sign of a good car sleep, like. yeah and just smile on my face every time i drive it to finish up then s14 ocp again and this is an interesting one he says are mark four golfs retro yes 20 year old unfortunately like, because you grew up with them i think yeah. they're a modern car you don't think they're mad no but they're starting to be made in 1988 so they're 22 year old i have this weird thing in my head where it's it's the year 2000 yeah i still think my head i'm still 18 yeah so in the year 2000 i was 20 years ago quick maths 11 and <laughs> i thought you're going to start spitting bars there i was going to say <laughs> so i still think it's 2011 or 2000 year 2000 if you said to me 1970, that's 30 years ago. So when people talk to me about Mark IVs, I drive a Bora, 2001 Bora. I think it's a modern car. And then I look at it and go, it's a 19-year-old Mark IV with yeah. 160,000 yeah. mile on. It's a piece of shit. Well, do you know how I know it's a retro car? As you look at classic insurance and my four motion. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think a lot of the insurance companies are either, is it 20 or 25 years for classic insurance? If you're a good customer like myself, they'll... They look after you. Look after you. <laughs> Is that retro insurance for you or for the car? It's Nigel insurance. <laughs> Blue sky. So what's what's strange is as well, I don't really think of a Mark III being a retro car, but I suppose it is in most it's, people's views. Mm-hmm. But my apprentices are 10 years younger than me. Take into account there's roughly 10 years between a Mark III and a Mark IV. My, like one Jordan who listens, he is obsessed with Mark IVs. And I mean, he's Mark IV mad. The way I am Mark III mad. So it is kind of like that is... It's generational. Yeah, where I look at a Mark III, where I look at a Mark IV and go, that's a modern car, where he doesn't. And you probably look at my Mark III and don't think of it as old as I think of it, you know, because you grew up with it. It was a new kid in the block when I was yeah. sort of... It's a strange way to look at it, but... And then it kind of, it falls into, is it... Do you distinguish between retro, vintage and classic, you know? I think you know it's retro when the price of parts start going through the roof. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning that with Mark III's at the minute. But yeah, Steffi, a good topic starter of that one. I like that. All good. Sweet. Yeah. So we'll leave it there, folks, for this week. Thank you very much. Yeah. J- just before we say our goodbyes and all the rest of it, again, if you didn't hear it at the start of... You all right? Yeah. If you didn't hear it... Sorry. If you didn't hear it at the start or talking about the driven road run, 8th of August, our spaces are almost all gone. We're currently looking at an alternative route because of COVID restrictions on the ferry that we're planning getting on. But this will go out Wednesday or Thursday, Connor. Yeah, hopefully so. So by that stage we'll have our just given well, we'll have our just given page set up and we'll have all the Facebook event stuff and details confirmed by then. So stay tuned, guys. Indeed, Thanks. yeah. And as always, if you like the podcast, share it with your friends. A lot of people screenshotting it, share it on Instagram when it comes out, tag us on it, that we'll makes repost. Us happy. Yes. Yep. That's as much. It's our motivation. Yeah, and it lets us know that you guys are enjoying it as well. Anybody who's new to listening from our last episode, we've picked up quite a few. Um, you can follow us collectively at Reload Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. I personally am at Connor McCann. I'm at Maxwell House Forty Six, and I'm at V Dubboy. Excellent. Look after yourselves, folks. See you later. Bye. Cheers. Mm-hmm.